This episode of The Way Home Podcast is sponsored by Evangelicals for Life, January 18th through 20th in Washington, D.C. Visit evangelicals.life for more information. What does it mean when the Bible says that humans are created in the image of God? And how does it affect the way we think about important issues like abortion and refugee care and care for the elderly and poverty and race and and all those issues? Well, if that's something that you've wondered or God has put on your heart to work in a particular field where you're caring for the vulnerable, I want to invite you to a special event that we have every year in January called Evangelicals for Life. This conference is organized around the annual March for Life, where people come to Washington, D.C. and make a statement that we believe the most vulnerable among us, the unborn, are people who have dignity and worth and are worthy of protection and care. But we want to invite you to this special event that we host. This year, I will be speaking, but also Russell Moore, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Keith Getty will be speaking, J.D. Greer, the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as Karen Ellis and several others. It's January 17th and 18th in Washington, D.C., and you can go to the website evangelicals.life to register. If you use a coupon code way home, you can get a significant discount. Make your voice heard. Learn how to be a champion for life in your community. Meet others who are working in various fields, whether it's pregnancy resource center directors, people working on relief and development in the developing world, people working on persecution of believers around the world, on the immigration issue, on poverty issues. Come and join us in Washington, D.C. this January 17th and 18th for Evangelicals for Life. as Christians, we hear a lot of messages and we talk a lot about growing in Christ. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to grow? Or perhaps you're listening to this podcast and you just became a Christian and you don't really know where to start. Or maybe you're discipling a young believer and you don't know where to start with them. Well, I'm going to have on my podcast today, Daryl Dash, who is a pastor in Toronto uh, and an author. Uh, He's got a brand new book out called How to Grow, Applying the Gospel to All of Your Life, a really, really good resource. We talked today about what what exactly is discipleship? Uh, How do we demystify that word in a way that makes sense to ordinary people? What does it look like to walk with Jesus? Does it look different for different people based on their gift and their callings and their talents and and their position in life? So I think you'll want to really lean in and listen to my friend Daryl Dash talk about growing in Christ. Pastor Daryl Dash, thank you for joining us. Dan, it's really good to be with you. Joining me for, uh, from Canada. So if uh, people don't know who you are, which I can't imagine that's the case, but let's just assume there are some, can you give a little bit of your, your story and your background? I know you you pastor in the Toronto area, but maybe share a little bit of, of your story. I'm sure there's a ton of people who have no idea who I am. <laughs> I almost guarantee it. Uh, I have been in the Toronto area pastoring for, man, it feels like forever. I think it's been 27 years. And uh, about five or six years ago, began to sense a call to church plant in downtown Toronto. 
Uh, actually, I didn't. I sensed the call for God to send somebody, and I began to pray that God would raise up somebody to go. I just never figured it would be me. So <laughs> uh, about six years ago, moved to uh, downtown Toronto to a new community and have the privilege of pastoring Liberty Grace Church, which is a, you know, a smallish uh, new church in a very gospel-resistant area. So it's been exciting. It's been hard. Um, I also blog, which is, I think, how we got connected originally, and then I got to know you as an author, and yeah, that's that's a little bit about who I am. Yeah, that's great. Well, you have a new book out called How to Grow, which I love, and it seems like such an easy question, you know, because as pastors, we're always like, our goal is to see our people grow in their faith. Um, I mean, our, our job as Christians is to make disciples. And yet it seems so, you know, like, why does it seem so complicated? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the book really came out of that question. Um, When we planted a church, I thought, this is my chance, right? I've read a lot. I've reflected a lot. Um, As one of my friends from Nashville, Ray Oatland says, it's like I had a PhD in how you know, in, in negative church experiences, not all of them were bad, but enough of them were bad that it was like, I think I want to do things differently. Quickly began to discover that just because you start a new church doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily go any differently and began to realize, I think I need to rethink. I need to think about why aren't people growing? And mm-hmm. um, I think there's a few reasons why. I think that um, personally, I think it's easy to go through the Sunday, you know, just expecting that people showing up on a Sunday is going to be enough that I, I obviously believe in the preaching of the Word of God, but uh, I think sometimes we expect it to bear all the weight of ministry and just expect that if people are hearing the Word, that they're going to grow. And uh, no doubt about it, the Word is, is and the preaching of the Word is so important in our lives, but just realizing that's not enough. People need to take additional steps to work out their calling and election. So, yeah, I think it's it's just sometimes a lack of intentionality. Um, a lack of a uh, plan and not giving people an on-ramp to grow. So at least in my life, I've, I've seen that, that be the problem. Yeah. And it seems um, that growth is, how do we measure spiritual growth? Is it um, church attendance? Is it a changed life in terms of behaviors and, and sanctification? Uh, is it the accumulation of knowledge of, of content of, about theology, about the Bible. What, what is growth? I mean, uh, as you would define it. Yeah. And, you know, the, I really, when I talk about growth and I try not to talk about it in the typical terms that we use, but if you want to use a theological word for it, I think what we're talking about is sanctification mm-hmm. and whole life sanctific- sanctification. So uh, I love the catechism that says it's the work of God's grace whereby we are renewed in the whole person after the image of God. And I love that part of the whole person, that it really does affect all of life. It's not just about, you know, becoming a better church member. It's about, you know, how do I, how do I see God change my emotions? How do I see God transform my relationships? Mm-hmm. Even how does God, how does that change the way I steward my body? Uh, so it's really about all of life. It's by God's grace. And, you know, you're asking what it even looks like. I love the Lord of the Rings and the picture of um, Gollum, who begins as a, you know, in the movie version, uh, I, it's it's so powerful, begins as this 
normal creature and then through inordinate desire becomes twisted into a monster. And the, I think that that was actually a theological picture that we're being offered there, that sin corrupts us. The opposite of growth is really what sin does in our lives. And the converse is sanctification is about changing us into who God created us to be originally, actually becoming, so we become more human, we become more fully alive. Mm. I love that, that we do become more fully alive. You know, one of the things I like about your approach is that in our ministries, and we all have this experience of leading someone to faith in Christ, right? Um, they have a conversion. And then there's, it's a little bit, okay, what next? You know, what, someone who has no knowledge of Scripture doesn't really know what it looks like to follow Jesus. What do we do with them next? I mean, obviously the next big thing is baptism for them to be water baptized. But in terms of walking them through growth process, like what does it look like for them? And so it seems like you're writing this, at least with that in mind too, right? Yeah, definitely. One of the things I tried to do is to think about the different stages of growth. And, uh, you know, the one challenge, and I want to make this clear, I hope I made it clear in the book, is it's not so linear that you can actually break it down. Life isn't neat like that. But I think it is helpful to at least think in rough categories of where we are. And, you know, I think of some of the uh, children in our church, and I love the stage they're at. So um, not even to be frustrated, wherever we are, I think there's beauty in each stage, just like there's beauty in being a three-year-old. But you don't want to be three forever. You want to become a four-year-old and so on. So, yeah, I think for somebody who is a new believer, I actually begin earlier than that because in the community where I am, uh, some of the people who are picking up the book aren't even believers, which Mm -hmm. I find pretty encouraging. Mm -hmm. But I think when somebody's a believer, they really do need, as you say, to to be baptized, and then they, they need to get to know the basics of Christianity. Uh, they need to develop new habits, and I, I talk a lot about that, but they need to learn in community how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to learn from other Christians. And then they move on to the next stage, and each stage has its challenges, but there's some things that are really important for all the stages that we never get over. We just need to master. Mm. And sometimes I think what we think is growth might just be contextualization into like our way of doing church or the things that we appreciate, right? So is there a way that sometimes things we prefer could be confused as spiritual growth in terms of measuring growth? Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, it's not just a matter of going through the motions and it actually does involve you know, I'll give you an example. My my wife, uh, we have a gym where we live in a condo, and we will go down together. And I would see, you know, I'd be doing the same thing as her. But I'd look over at her, and she was actually, like, she was sweating. She looked out her breath, and I thought, man, like, what's wrong with her? I'm, I'm having no trouble doing these exercises. And it actually turns out she was doing them right, and I was simply going through the motions the the term I love I love the term because I think it applies spiritually. She was engaging the core, and I think that's important. It's not just about going through the motions, but it's about actually knowing God, knowing Him not just as a, a another to do in our life, but you know actually knowing Him relationally, worshiping Him, mm-hmm. and then obeying Him in, in life. So, you know, I think that's the challenge. You're in Nashville. Nashville, I think, from what I've heard, still has that Christian. You know, I know I have a Nashville friend that says the 
buckle of the Bible Bible belt has rusted and fallen off. It's not really the case anymore. <laughs> That's a great way of putting but I th- it. I think that uh, there is still a Christian memory there. Where I am, there isn't really a Christian memory. Uh, Toronto is much more secular, and a lot of the people in my community are, you know, they don't have a church background. But I still think there's if there's something within us, even in this context, that mistakes the real thing for just going through the motions and. I think you're wise to point that out for sure. So let's, I want to talk about that. So you're in a context, you know, where there's not a memory of Christianity. There's not a, you know, there people might think that they know what Christianity is based on news reports or what they think. So how is evangelism different there in that soil than it would be, say, in, you know, in a, a soil where there's still quite a few Christians? Now, it's interesting about Nashville you know, it's changed demographically, so there's a lot of Bible Belt-ish, you know, residue here, if you will, where people still think value going to church, I think. But then you look at surveys, like even in our own community, Mount Juliet, that 80% of people are on church and aren't going to church. So it does seem like we're we're becoming more like other places. But what does evangelism look like in a place like Toronto where it's so diverse and there's not a sort of a Christian basis for things? Yeah, I think it means a couple of things. Uh, well, I'll list three. One is uh, we can't assume anything. So, you know, the, the biblical knowledge is very low. The Christian worldview is so low that, you know, I remember talking to a couple of ladies. We were at a church event, a couple of young ladies, and uh, we were there uh, representing our church. So we had the church, you know, canopy with the name on it. They knew we were pastors. And these girls, we got talking, it was a rainy day, nobody was showing up, so they were exhibiting, I forget what they were exhibiting, some crafts. And at one point, they turned to us and said, you know what you should do, is you should take your wives to a burlesque show. And we were looking at them thinking, like, you know, it's not really normal for somebody to tell pastors to take their wives to a burlesque show. (laughs) And they were aghast. They said, why? And began to realize they have no concept of the biblical worldview. You know, it used to be Mm -hmm. that you know, a generation ago, maybe people knew, they didn't understand much about the gospel, but they at least understood, you know, that Christians believe different things about sex. So I think we just, we can't assume anything. That would be the first thing. I think the second thing is, it's highly relational. So um, I, I think it's like that everywhere, but we just have to lean into relationships and take a long time and then use that relationship to leverage people. And then I think the, the final thing I would say is, it's actually really refreshing because people here don't have a negative church experience. They haven't been inoculated against the gospel. And so there's a real freshness when they hear the gospel that it does take a lot longer. There's, you know, a lot of people who it just take two or three years, but I think that there's a freshness. They're not, I think where you are, it might be that people think they know the gospel when they really don't. Here we don't have that problem. And I think that's a good thing. Mm. It would seem like it's almost like a, you're presenting the, the gospel as like something new rather than having to deconstruct bad gospels or false gospels and, and oh, also absolutely. being high, highly relational. Because I've always felt like my – I, I like to he, hear how you feel about this is kind of my working theory. I don't know if it's right, but you know, there's a previous era where a method of evangelism that we're used to you know, evangelism explosion, some of these other methods that have really been highly effective – 
kind of had the assumption that everybody in the United States kind of had had a Christian framework, or most people did. They meant they're not Christians, they're not regenerate, but they kind of knew the basic contours of the story. And you're just sort of skipping ahead to some verses in John, some verses in Romans that kind of turn the lights on for them about grace versus works and personal salvation instead of just, you know, being religious. Uh, but now it seems like people are really wholly unfamiliar with any of the Bible narrative, don't have a framework. So you, you have to almost start from Genesis and kind of explain the whole, here's the story the Bible tells about the world and about you. Is there any anything to that idea? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that I think that it means we have to work a lot harder. So, you know, when we open the Word of God and preach, or even when we're sharing we just can't assume anything. We need to almost establish a biblical worldview before, you know, you can't, for instance, you can't just talk about sin. You know, and that's where Tim Keller has been so helpful because he'll say um, people don't understand guilt because they don't understand that there is a, an objective moral authority. But on the other hand, they understand shame. Everyone seems to have this innate sense that there's something deeply flawed in them and, uh, and fortunately, biblically, the Bible has a lot to say about that. So I think it's relearning how to tell the story to a biblically illiterate generation and not seeing that all as being a negative thing. I mean, if you look at the the first century, the gospel flourished in a context in which people didn't know the gospel and didn't have the biblical worldview. And I like to think that the the so I'll tell you the truth, Dan, for a while I was complaining about the soil being hard here. And in God's providence, I came across uh, a guy who leads a church planning network, and he said, not knowing that I was complaining about this, he said, I'm so tired of hearing people complain about hard soil. He said, I want to hear people start talking about Romans 116, the power of the gospel, mm. believing that the gospel is more powerful than any hard soil. So I get that to heart. I, I try not to complain anymore. I think it's a real opportunity to be in hard soil because I think the gospel is more powerful than any hard soil that we can ever face. Mm. I want to go back to growth uh, as we close this out. I first want to ask, what are some misconceptions about spiritual growth? And I guess my second one is, if you're discipling somebody, we all talk about making disciples and discipling people. What does it actually look like? Does that look like me going out to coffee with them and walking through scriptures? What next step am I giving to somebody in their spiritual growth? Is it encouraging them to Bible reading? Is it me encouraging them to be part of small group and church? Is it all the above prayer? What's your advice on those? In terms of understanding what growth looks like and some of the misunderstandings we have, uh, I think I, I think a lot of people struggle with this. I did uh, for a long time. I kind of thought it was about becoming more serious, maybe more otherworldly, less human, uh, and denying our, my desires even, you know, like I didn't want God to, I didn't want to grow because I didn't want God to step in and ruin the plans that I had for my life. Really began to, that, those are ridiculous, right? Actually, spiritual growth is about becoming more human. It's about God creating us into who we always wanted to be. And it's not about becoming more serious. It's about becoming more alive. And it's actually about, uh, as C.S. Lewis alluded to, not denying our desires, but realizing that we need to take seriously our desires and God can transform them. So, what I would do, I, I think we are meant to grow together. And even though I'm in Canada, I like to borrow the Southern y'all. You know, I think the Bible, we need to start reading generally the epistles. Uh, and a lot of what Jesus said, he was he was speaking to 
uh, a group of people and the commands are not to individuals, but to a group of people. So, you know, I would say we need to open up our lives. And if I were discipling somebody, I think invite them into the mess of my life, let them see, you know, the good, bad and ugly and, uh, and then begin to show them how, you know, I talk about core habits, um, three of them being uh, reading and listening to scripture, prayer, pursuing worship and fellowship within a church community, those three. None of them are that sexy, right? They all seem very ordinary. They're not revolutionary. Uh, we've all heard them before, but actually showing them how do we build those habits in our lives in um, in reality, not just in theory, but in reality. Mm. Um, I'll tell you that my wife is very different from me. I really benefited from that because, you know, I, for instance, I told people, you just need to get up in the morning and follow X plan. And I did that to my wife once. She came to me and said, you've just ruined my devotional life. And <laughs> the reason why is because what works for me didn't work for her. She mm. had to, she had a good thing going and she had to kind of fix it after I imposed my plan on her. And I think part of helping other people grow is, you know, these are the basics. We need to be in the word. We need to be praying. We need to be involved in the life of the church community and building those relationships. But it's going to take wisdom to know how that fits into my life. And mm. we need wisdom in how to walk together and cultivate those habits. But we need to do it. We need to help each other develop those habits in our lives. So you're saying that if I don't journal every day, I can Jesus can, still loves me. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, that Absolutely. makes me feel good. I, I, <laughs> you're not a journaler? Well, you know, I write you know, articles and things like that. I'm just not a, a a guy that journals every day, you know, with when I do my quiet time. And, you know, it, it's so interesting. I think there are people that do that and people that don't. And for a long time, I felt like, well, maybe maybe something's wrong with me. I'm not spiritual. Then I realized it's not the way I process things. And so I do like how you said that the means of grace are the same for all, you know, for, for all of us in terms of the word, church, friendships, and you know, study and all that, but the way that we process and communicate can be different, right? Our, our, all of us, you know, our quiet times and the way that we grow can be really different, right? Yeah. And even to realize that, um, you know, for instance, my wife, uh, I, I think I tell this in the book, she really was struggling with some of these habits and the way that she developed them was actually through the back door. She began to develop better physical habits, um, going to the gym and eating better. And I never would have guessed this, but actually developing discipline in that area of her life gave her somehow discipline to uh, read the Word of God and begin to develop a prayer habit. So, you know, it's interesting. I think we're complicated creatures. Life is messy. And I love what D.A. Carson says. Sometimes we've got to deal with something like sleep, for instance, before we can deal with our spiritual habits. So, you know, we're complicated. I wish there was just a one thing that we could do, but... It takes a lot of wisdom to know how to build those habits in our lives. Hmm. That's really good. Well, Daryl Dash, thanks for joining me. You're my favorite Canadian pastor. Don't tell oh, Paul. Oh, man, thank you. <laughs> at least you are for this moment. Don't tell Paul Martin I said that. Um, I just, I'm going to text him right now. <laughs> I'm going to owe him a Tim Hortons if he hears this. But you've written a great book, uh, How to Grow, and we'll have links to it on, on our website. But thanks for joining me today, and hopefully our paths will cross uh, again soon sometime. I appreciate your everything you do, Dan. It's uh, so good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. 
The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.